Welcome to the Cosmic Business Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Palace, and this podcast is for soulful entrepreneurs who want to harness the cosmic power of astrology to elevate their message, unlock flow, and attract their best clients ever. Join me every week and get excited to discover how you can use the energy of the cosmos to get the business breakthrough you've been waiting for. My guest today describes himself as a full-blown skeptic of astrology, or at least he was, until an argument with a Gemini and a life-changing visit to an astrologer completely turned that on its head. I am talking about the amazing Samuel F. Reynolds, who has since spent over 30 years studying astrology and now consults and teaches astrology full-time. He is the president of the board of directors for the International Academy of Astrology and has written horoscopes for several print and online publications. His site is unlockastrology.com. I'm going to give more details in the show notes, but I can't wait for you to listen to Sam's take on his exploration of astrology, his journey through astrology in his own business the challenges and the insights that come from being born on the quote-unquote cusp of two signs. Also, he talks a lot about the part of fortune, which I think is a really interesting point for us to explore even deeper. So get comfy, listen up. This is a fabulous chat with the amazing Sam Reynolds. Welcome back to another episode of the Cosmic Business Breakthrough. I'm delighted to have my guest with us today, Samuel F. Reynolds, or Sam Reynolds, as he's otherwise known, is a former skeptic and he's had a life-changing experience that I would love you to tell us about in a moment. But you are now a high-profile astrologer and this is what I, I love about your story, I love about the the work that you do in the astrology community, and the work that I have done with you is you're really bringing this perspective of someone who has come from this complete other side of being com- completely convinced that astrology is not a thing <laughs> to now it being really a part of your life in a very significant way. So, welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for being thank you. here. Thank you, Sophia. And I should also mention that I've been in a mentoring program through the Organization of Professional Astrologers with Sam for the past, I think, five months now. And I have been learning so much about building an astrological business from you. So that's another reason why I'm really excited to have you here to talk about all of those things today. So why don't you tell us how you got into astrology. Tell us this story of the skeptic to the convert. How did that work for you? I mean, in short, I got into astrology trying to set up a Gemini. I guess that's kind of an aspiration. But no, the the longer story is that I was in graduate school pursuing my master's and PhD in African-American studies. I was in my second year of that degree toward my master's. And For my research, I 
met a woman. I, I was doing my research on the effect that numbers and being reduced to a number on the effect on the psyches of people. And this was um, a social security office. So it's a government office in the United States where people, you know, based on, I don't know if there's a similar thing in Australia where you have a social security number, you have a number related to the government by which you can get certain um, services and also in terms of your insurance, things like that and retirement. So I really wanted to, you know, study that. And I met a woman there who I interviewed there, an older woman. And so we hit it off. And when I say hit it off, I mean, I developed a romantic interest. She saw me as, you know, a young guy who seemed reasonably intelligent, was fun to hang out with. And so, and that's the Gemini. And she was really into astrology. I really was not. And she would talk periodically, not too much that it was annoying or anything about, you know, what she suspected my astrology. And I told her, well, I'm born November 22nd. So I'm between the cusp of what's called the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius. So she would go on and after, you know, knowing me a little bit and said, well, I think you're a Scorpio. I think, well, clearly if I had to choose between the arachnid and the centaur, clearly I'm a, a centaur, right? And she's like, no, I think you're the bug. Now, what's interesting is that even though I was hostile to astrology, I wasn't hostile to the occult in general, meaning in terms of tarot, numerology. I thought they were interesting, as I would put it in my, you know, scholarly lens at the time, interesting hermeneutic, a way of asking questions and understanding, you know, the wisdom of things. And I decided I wanted to get this book that my mother had taken from me on magic. In short, it was called the eighth, ninth, tenth book of Moses. And this book is pseudographia, meaning that it's actually not real, you know, I guess people would say it's not real magic, but it was, I believed it was. So I went hunting for this book, you know, and this is before Amazon. This is in, I mean, to give the exact year, 91. And I went hunting for this book and calling around a different bookstore. So I finally found it in this one store in North Philly. So I trekked up to North Philly because I, I was going to school in Philadelphia. And it was just this little shop where this guy also had candy and he was doing the numbers for people, but he also had some books. And I was like, okay. So I got the book and he was like, well, you know, I, you know, are you into astrology? No. And he's like, well, you know, have you ever had your chart done? No. Then as he was trying to persuade me toward it, I was like, this might be a way to shut up this Gemini. And then for once and for all, know that I am a Sagittarius. So we agreed on, you know, getting a reading. I had I was flushed with a little cash because I had gotten my loans for for school. Got the reading. Sophia, he he sat me down. And within the first 15 minutes, I felt like I was getting confirmation that astrology was BS. So first thing he said was that it looks like you're Sun is in Scorpio. And I'm like, no. And, you know, and he, I mean, he showed me 29 degrees. And then he said other little things. I mean, you haven't met me and neither of your, your viewers or listeners. I'm short and very short for a man. And he said, well, it looks like you had maybe some challenges at your birth. And, you know, to myself, I'm, I'm doing the cold Scorpio thing. I'm just like being completely, you know, I would say unreadable and just kind of like, mm hmm. 
because I had other readings before, but that was also related to research, not astrology readings, but other kinds of readings. So when he said that in my head, I was like, I mean, that's not hard math. I'm like four, maybe I was like four, nine, four, 10. I'm like, it's statistically likely that something happened. Then he said, well, you know, it seems like a reasonably smart guy. And I said, well, I told you I was, you know, again, in my head, I told you I was in a PhD program. Chances are I'm not an idiot. So I really was like, okay, so we're just doing rudimentary stuff. Then as the reading progressed, he started talking about family dynamics. And he talked specifically about something that may have happened, because he wasn't sure, between my brother, my father, and my mother when I was in utero. And it was very, that's very specific. And I think that's when I really broke you know, face and was like, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, he got all very avuncular about it. Like, it's right here. You look at this chart and you blah, blah, blah. And I still have that chart. And, you know, he was showing me, you know, it was actually something in retrospect, because I remember now what he said, but at the time I didn't understand what he was saying. I just felt, I guess, what's the word, violated to some degree. Because I'm like, how do you know this? And I'm looking, you know, he's saying, oh, it's your Mercury, Jupiter, or Mercury, no, it's Mercury, Moon, Square, blah, 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 Mercury for him, suggesting brother, Moon, suggesting mother, then idea of, you know, I guess that's also family. Don't know where you got the father in. Maybe it was the Sun, Jupiter, Square. I don't know if I would have looked at those things with that level of specificity, but what I would say, and this is also for your, your, your listeners and viewers, I've been influenced by a book called The Moment of Astrology, written by Jeffrey Cornelius. One of the the things he talks about what astrology is, is really divination. And I think at that particular moment, we could say that spirit kind of broke through, maybe through him, maybe he isn't, because I actually did see him again, and it wasn't as potent as that particular moment. And it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't as potent. And I feel like spirit was kind of going through and said, like, the only way we're going to get this boy to really understand his destiny as an astrologer or whatever is to really give him something that seems improbable for someone else to know. And that's what happened. And I was like, okay, I was, a, you know, you mentioned I was a skeptic. Well, the, the 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 other way I might say, because that's how I usually describe it myself as well, but I had a history with religion. I used to be a minister. I was a child minister from 12 pretty much to 19. I'm meeting the astrologer, 23, you know, almost 24 years old, going toward my Jupiter return, second Jupiter return. And I had settled into a life of atheism and a life that was more about race, gender, and class as the operative factors that guide human existence. So astrology really didn't make any sense to me. And so I spent, you know, when I left that place, I was a little shook. And I was like, it must be a trick. There must be some ledger main that this astrologer is using to figure it out. I don't think he knows my friend. My friend also didn't know that particular thing, thing about my sister, my brother, father, and mother, because I only had learned that two months before. So I was like, what's going on? It gets a little more complicated. For some reason, I still can't remember. I was telling someone who lived in my graduate housing about my experience with the astrologer. 
And she says, well, I'm into astrology. Oh, but cool. Well, maybe I can borrow a book or something from you and try to understand it more. And I said, okay, cool. And then on a lark, I asked her, when's your birthday? November 22nd? November 22nd, when? November 22nd, 1967? And I was like, that's my birthday. That's literally the day I was born. Oh, okay. And that was weird to me. Because I guess I was of the mindset that coincidences are probably a little more than coincidences. And to come to see them as, and again, you might say, well, what, you know, if you were an atheist, what did you believe that was messages from? I don't know. I just kind of had respect for a living cosmos or at least an engagement. Like I said, a hermeneutic, there's a, whether that's all in my own mind or, you know, there's something larger, I couldn't really tell, but I didn't completely dismiss. And so I did borrow books from her. And eventually I got an astrology program for my Mac. And this, again, this is 1992. And then I started doing charts, but more so with an eye on disproving astrology. I did charts for people just to see, and then they had like a little report just to see if it would make sense. And then as I would read to them or talk to them, and the more I learned, you know, it became like, well, does this make sense to you? And they were like, yeah. And I was always waiting for someone to say like, that's the craziest thing I've heard. That's not me. Right. But that practically never happened. I can't remember it happening. And so I kept doing astrology, kept learning more, getting the occasional astrology book, you know, trying to disprove astrology, all these things I said. I actually had moved from Philly to New York City, and I was at a party, a Christmas party, and I was talking to an avowed skeptic and atheist. And, you know, we were talking about astrology, and he was like, you know, trying to disprove it for me. And I was telling him how I had studied it and it, it became apparent he hadn't. But then he asked me, he's like, well, do you believe it? And that's when it really dawned on me that I had shifted from just pure skeptic to participant, at least. I don't know if it became believer in the strict sense. But I said to him, yeah, I do. And I think that's when I started taking my studies in, the, in astrology a lot more seriously eventually finding teachers, something I hadn't known about in Philadelphia, in New York, getting involved with NCGR, National Cosmic for Geocosmic Research, and then taking exams and um, becoming serious about becoming an astrologer. With an eye on like a side hustle, side career, I didn't envision it as, you know, becoming my main business or my main part of my life, but it has. So that's from 91 pretty much to, you know, 2023. Wow. When did you make that transition to it becoming your main business? How many years did it take? So, so yeah, that was about 11, 12 years of Jupiter return, really, because it was from, I didn't go into practice actively until, I want to say, 2002. So it, it must have been the spring or summer, you know, into that time frame of 2002. Because when I remember, I found an office, the Avenue office, office, which is, you know, one of the fancier areas of New oh, York. Wow. And I did that because I thought, well, that's what I should do, right? And, you know, I actually shared the office with 
therapists. So it actually was a very reasonable rate because I supposedly only had it for one day, but they kind of winked, winked and gave me permission to use it for the weekend because they weren't there. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of clients at first. So I mainly used the office to study and to get away. I had roommates at the time. I was living the friend's life. Right. If you know the show. Yeah. So I used it mainly for an office to study and, and prepare. I did get to see some occasional clients, but nowhere near where I am now. Mm. Right. So since, since 2002, so you can't, so you're having like your 21st birthday really of, of astrology, right. of being a professional astrologer after trying to disprove it for all that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, even it's a Saturn return I had just a few years yeah. back because, I mean, if we start my journey from 91 to 2023, mm. that's kind of more right. the, the Saturn return of it. Because 91 was when you realized that astrology was a thing. Yeah. You know, or it could, it could be, a, be thing a thing or something. Mm. I thought the astrologer... You know, I had studied magic when I was a kid. When I say magic, I mean stage magic. Mm. And so my mindset was like, don't be fooled by what you see Mm. or hear because there are ways in which you can create, yeah, it could be a trick, optical illusions. You know, you think I'm, you know, like I, I guessed your card, but really, you know, by power of suggestion or particular ways, I led you to that. So... I was thinking maybe astrology works on a similar level, mm. but yeah, it's much more sophisticated than that. <laughs> yeah. So how how do you sit on that spectrum of astrology is like a religion or it's like a language or is it a bit of both? I see it more like, I definitely don't see it as a religion. In fact, I, I see it more as a language. Mm. I think astrology as a religion can be as dangerous as religion can be, mm. right? And what do I mean? And I'm not anti-religion at all. What I mean by that, in, in, in case anyone's like, wait, is he still an atheist? No, I'm not an atheist anymore in that sense or whatever. I definitely believe in something beyond our consciousness, someone, however you want to frame it, you know, whatever kind of God you want to call on. But why I don't think it's a religion? Because Religion really does come with some measure of dogma. Astrology is too heterodox, even to mainstay religions, like the Abrahamic traditions and religions. It's so diverse, whether you're talking about evolutionary astrology, whether you're talking like, mm. so which would it be? You would say, well, couldn't that be different denominations? Yeah, but again, how it's been framed from, you know, Hellenistic times to now, it's had all different kinds of orders, whether you're talking about being tied to actually the gods as an astral theology, to more a tool of contemplation related to Plato's Republic, to more, you know, whether we're talking about from Islam or whether we're talking about from Christianity, from a Neoplatonist point of view, it has definitely been a a companion with religions. Mm. We could even say it precedes religions but I don't think it formulates as a religion itself. It kind of more functions along the spectrum of a language as describing how we understand ourselves in the world rather than that it is, you know, just trying to spell out what life is, which I think is what religion tries to do. Mm. So that's how I would make a distinction. Okay. 
You mentioned earlier that your debate with the Gemini was <laughs> whether you were, whether you were. Of, the, all, of all the signs, of right? Of all the signs. Between, talking about straddling between <laughs> two things, of course I had it with a Gemini. Yes, of course. But go on, of course. I'm sorry. Makes total sense. So you were not sure before you went into this whole astrology journey whether you were a Sagittarian or a Scorpio. And I think this is a, a thing, like I even pulled a chart for someone just last week where they thought they were a Capricorn and actually they were a Sagittarian because they were born on that 29th degree. And it happens a lot in Australia too because we are like, because of the time zone difference and depending on the book you're reading, the dates change if you're just reading the book. So I find this 29th degree really interesting Tell us a bit more about this point because I know that 29th degree of a sign has particular significance. Yes, I definitely will weigh in on that question. I just want to go back one bit to something you said that I think really registers, which is, so when you're reading in books about, you know, signs, and to be fair and honest, I really had, I think one of the reasons why I thought astrology was BS was that I literally could read descriptions about Scorpio and resonate to some degree. And I could read about Sagittarius and resonate to some degree. I just thought symbolically, you know, because I went to an elementary school where the centaurs were the, the totem and the mascot. So I was like, oh, then that must, you know, that kind of is foreshadowing or something like that. But I would read both. And then you also see the elision, the crossing of the dates. You know, some books might say Scorpio ends the 21st. Some will say it's the 22nd. Scorpio uh, Sagittarius begins the 22nd. So I'm, I'm kind of empathizing for those who have that confusion, which is always why it's good to actually get an astrologer. Then there are some people who, you know, kind of look at the 29th degree or look at this crossing as like, you have a little bit of both. And I really take strong issue with that for those who are a little bit more knowledgeable of astrology. There is kind of this cusp that we can talk about between houses, you know, like the fifth to the sixth house, the ninth to the 10th, that is built within the tradition of astrology as quote unquote, these cusps. And that's because Classically, and even in a modern sense, your calculations of the houses can change or be wrong. And so there is this way in which you can have this elision. It's less so and less likely when you're talking about a planet, and especially even with the sun. So for instance, not only am I 29 degrees, I'm 29 degrees and 45 minutes of Scorpio. You're like, okay, does that mean then you're 15 minutes away from Scorpio. Well, I'm 15 zodiacal longitude minutes from Scorpio, but that's not 15 minutes of clock time. What that would have meant was actually that 15 minutes would have been or had to have been six hours. So the sun is at a definitive position. So for instance, you and I had an agreement that I would be on this call at 8.30 my time. Not 831, even though you're never that strict, right? Not 831, not 829, but 830. Okay, cool. 
So it it is literally a particular moment in time, and it's not one or the other. Now, if anyone who has gone to school, they know like, well, if your professor said you must submit your paperwork before the end of the day or 12 midnight, wherever you are in the world, you know that if you sent it in at 12.01, you're late. So the same kind of principle does relate to the positions of the sun and to the planets to some degree, especially the sun. It might be a little harder to do because it's the fastest moving body in the heavens. Sun is a bit, you know, relatively slower than the moon. So to be born at the 29th degree, however many minutes, even if it's the actual 29th degree, or if even if you're born 29 degree and 59 minutes, is, is to be born at a particular point in time that isn't an intermingling of two signs. It's the difference between, you know, today in the States, it's the seventh. It's the difference between now for you, it's the eighth. It's the difference between what midnight will be for me in terms of taking me to the eighth. I can no longer say, well, it's still the seventh because I haven't gone to sleep yet. That's not logical and it's not empirically true. So I think it's the same thing that I do want to address that because a lot of people think when you're talking about cusps and you're talking about the 29th degree, you're both. What I think about with the 29th degree is we could say that is a degree of some unfinished business related to the sign. And on some level, you know, also contrary to the argument that also is usually mounted, that you're starting to feel the energy of the next sign, I actually think you're dealing with the culmination of, of that sign. You know, so I'm dealing with the culmination of Scorpio. Like I always tell people, um, I'm less the Sag and more the Scorpio. And it's, you know, I don't mean anything egotistical by this, but in this purest form. And this goes along with an argument that one particular astrologer, um, steam I'm blanking on right now, has made that we could argue that at the beginning of the sign and the end of the sign might be like when we're dealing with the full thrust of the energy of the sign and that the middle point is kind of a modulation, like an adjustment, like, well, oh, we started this way, but is this really working? And so when you get to the anoretic degree, as it's called, now on some level, that's kind of a misnomer. Anoretta means death, dying, killing planet. It actually was the name of the planet, a planet that classical astrologers especially those in the medieval era would say, this is the thing that can take you out. So Anaretta was what they would calculate. And so now we've kind of adapted that to the final degree and call it anoretic. So to be at the anoretic degree, I, I believe is more so like, you know, I don't know how it is in Australia, but here in the States, like being in high school, just after you've taken your exams, but before you get your diploma. So it's, it's more where you feel the transition, but you haven't quite made the transition. I think the 29th degree becomes a test of character related to the issues of that sign. It becomes a way in which you have to reflect on the sign and its essence. And that may manifest you know, often through your life. So what's interesting, just to kind of give people a parallel to this, my brother, my older brother, was born on October 24th. 
which is actually the first day of Scorpio. So he's zero degrees Scorpio, right? Which means he was also born on the cusp and the flip side between Libra and Scorpio. I'm born at the end. What's interesting, one of the other reasons why I felt like I was in Scorpio was because I don't act like him, right? Like that's my brother, my blood brother, right? But he literally, as I would read descriptions of Scorpio, the brooding, kind of holding things in, you know, the intensity of Scorpio, blah, 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 you know, the things, you know, like all these self-destructive tendencies, blah, blah. I was like, that one, that's him. That pretty much sums him up. Whereas I didn't feel that, but it wasn't readily apparent until like, as I studied astrology, I was like, oh, some of that is very much in me, but I'm trying to work through it. I'm trying to get a more, a better understanding of it. Like I am gaining an understanding of it. Now, this brings up a question that, you know, students often ask. So like, well, why do you seem like a Sag? Like I'm listening to you and you seem like a Sag to me. Well, there can be several reasons why that's true. And I'm going to go through at least a few of them. And for those, this, some concepts may be new. So just, let's try to roll with it. One particular easy one is I'm also a ninth house son. So my son ends up in the ninth house. I'm a Pisces rising. So there is a parallel. I do not think houses equal signs, but there is a parallel between the ninth sign, Sagittarius, and the ninth house. So the adventurous appreciation for scholarship, for adventure, all these particular things will have some measure of a parallel for me. I also have Sun squared to Jupiter. So Sun squared Jupiter, also Jupiter is a planet that, or the planet that rules Sagittarius. So by virtue of that dynamic, I may exude some of the enthusiasms, the storytelling, the all the other things that go along with Sagittarius. The final reason, which is a little more complicated, is using the principle or technique of secondary progressions. So the idea behind secondary progressions is where we imagine that every day after a person is born represents a year of their life, which reminds me to ask you something in a second. But so just to clarify and keep this concept on track, it's, you know, to imagine one day after I was born is to imagine one year after I was born. So after my first 90 days of life, then I can track back and see what the parallels are to my first 90 years, or my not first, but my 90 years of life. So I spent, that means 30 of my years in Sagittarius. Doesn't mean I wasn't a Scorpio, but some measure of my intellectual, mental, psychological makeup paralleled Sagittarius, and especially during my formative years. So in many ways, I did absorb some concept of Sagittarius, which is going to be true for every anoretic person. So you mentioned earlier that there was a client who was between Sagittarius and Capricorn. I believe they were more the Sagittarius than the Capricorn. Is that right? Am I remembering or is it reverse? No, they thought they were a Capricorn, but they were actually a 29 degree Sag. But, but they have Mercury and Capricorn 
as well, which you don't have Mercury in Sagittarius, right? In, yeah. From that I don't have any planets in Sagittarius, mm. right? Sidebar, which we probably don't have time to get into, but one thing, since you just had a newborn, that'd be interesting if you can, I've always wanted someone to do this in astrology, okay. is to track your baby's first 90 days. Right. As a way to see how it parallels to their 90 years of life. He's more and than 90 days they, old now. I missed my chance. But I can go back. I do I do write in a journal, so I'll see if there's anything that I noted down. And just, you know, one thing you might be looking mm. for, obviously, you know, particular things are not going to be as changeable during the course of his first 90 or, yeah, his 90 days. Mm. For instance, so let's say you moved his crib day four. That might be a parallel to him moving year four, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean, or like if you kind of log something during his 15-year life that, you know, there was a big adventure, you went to the park or something like that, maybe that might parallel mm. him taking a big trip when he's 15. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how does that really work? And, you know, like when the baby is just like basically gurgling and, <laughs> you know, feeding and pooping, like, yeah. It's not like it's going to be that eventful. So it's more so around what happens around them. So ah, anyway, that's a tangent. Okay. You know, I don't have any children. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to do that with anybody, you know, close enough to, on a daily basis. But I always think about that. I'm one of the astrologers that kind of like <laughs> do that. Okay. We were talking about your Sagittarian stuff, but you also have the midheaven in Sagittarius, right? So that that could be an maybe a fourth reason why. In your work, particularly, you come across as that have that Sagittarian energy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a Pisces rising, and I use traditional yes. rulers. So Jupiter is the ruler of it, and Jupiter is actually directly opposite right. to my ascendant. Which this might be a good segue to talk about how I have framed my business and how I think about it. So my Jupiter's in Virgo if I'm a Pisces rising, and it opposes it. Mm. So Jupiter in Virgo, I've kind of come up with the idea that Jupiter in Virgo is the path, because I, I kind of give paths for all the positions of Jupiter, the path of the craftsperson. I don't want to say craftsman because I don't want to alienate anybody, but craftsperson. And what that means is wanting to really excel in the details. Obviously, it can be lost in the details, but wanting to really analyze and understand the minutia. And one, one way I crafted early on my story was related to being the skeptic. And the skeptic isn't just someone who's a hard-nosed critic of astrology, as much as someone who analyzes, think about, and wants to excel in the work related to astrology. Like, I'm always learning which then means when I'm learning, then I can teach ideally to others. So, you know, when I even name my courses nitty gritty, that is in some measure tribute to my Jupiter and Virgo. Now, what made me think of that was that, yes, I'm a Pisces rising, but as you mentioned, Jupiter is the ruler of my Sag midheaven. So it's kind of the way in which I am known because the midheaven represents how we are known, how we have our sense of vocation, calling, and reputation in the world. So that's kind of what 
I've consciously thought about what I would encourage anyone who kind of looks at their chart and comes to know their chart to think about their midheaven and the ruler of the midheaven and what it signifies and relates to. Yes, that's awesome. I just did an episode on the midheaven uh, not very long ago. So go and check that out if you're listening. So in your view, what are some key parts of your own astrology chart, but also some parts for the audience, I guess, to consider when they're thinking about their business and how they want that to grow and evolve over time. I mean, you talked a little bit about how you incorporate, you know, your Jupiter in Virgo into your course development or your the naming of, of that. But what else would be the key points to kind of look at and think about when it comes to putting your business out in the world? Well, one, I want to give a very important caveat. If you feel a calling toward a particular position, you want to think about your chart as points of consideration, not necessarily points that tell you whether you can or will be. Like, don't just rely on your chart as a tool of permission. Mm. Why I'm saying that is a few months ago, Rob Hand, and I know he had talked about this before because I've done workshops with Rob Hand, a brilliant astrologer who I look up to a great deal, talked about what were the marks related to an astrologer. And so one of the things is Mercury's connection to the lot of fortune, as an example. I'm not saying this for every business. So there were a lot of astrologers on Twitter who were saying like, well, I don't have a connection between Mercury and my lot of fortunes. That means that I may not be a good astrologer. I may not have a success. All these different things. Then like, that's not how you should embrace this, right? And I'm saying this is someone who has Mercury conjoined to my lot of fortune. So it's like, oh, it's easy for you to say, but no, well, yeah, you know, I could say that, well, this contributes to my success or what I've, you know, cause I've looked at the charts of other astrologers. I've also looked at for other businesses, how I better would frame that. Yes. Maybe it's wind in my sails, but I think the most important thing besides the consideration and using it as a point of consideration is your own perseverance, you know, with any business it is not going to be easy. Like if you had asked me, you know, I I started my business, yeah, like I mentioned 21 years ago, but, you know, it didn't really take off in any substantive way for another 10 years. Mm. Now, that doesn't have to be true for everybody, right? But that was the truth for me. And I think that's what I want to say is most important. I don't want people to kind of use their chart as a bludgeon against their own aspirations yeah. because one, you could be reading it wrong Two, it may be describing, you know, a different way in which your chart may function. So for instance, someone early on who knew some astrology, when I would, you know, did a consultation for them and I don't, I don't know, maybe they were just trying me out or being spiritually supportive. They actually said, well, Sam, thank you very much for your reading. And I actually have become convinced after listening to you that you're going to be a teacher of astrologers. And I was like, okay, well, let's see, you know, and it's proved absolutely true, but it was a lot of encouragement. And I mean, I didn't saw it in my chart, but I did not see that before that. Yes. 
So that becomes important to contemplate. So what are people looking for or thinking about as points of consideration? Well, I think your moon and the position of your moon really does become important, not just by house signature, because that does depend on what house sign or house system you use, mm. but also by sign. So I have a moon in Leo. So I know when the, you know, the lights come on, you know, I know how to turn on the charm, yeah. right? And just not only weave a story, but give up myself. Mm. I can be generous in my, my giving of myself when I've decided to give. Yeah. You know, someone has a moon in Cancer, maybe you really know how to be very supportive. You're moon in Scorpio, maybe you know how to deal with people who are really in deep crisis when things just seem really glum and grim. And again, this could be for any particular business. Yeah. But it does mean, you know, what specific ways in which you are dealing with your audience and what your audience might look like. So there may be a, a natural sense of charisma that my moon exudes. Again, this may also contribute to the confusion that some people have, like, oh, you're sad. Because, I, you know, I'm exuding the fire. Mm -hmm. So they confuse the fire with, you know, well, maybe that's sad because I say I'm born in November. Yeah. But they may be seeing my moon. Yes. So that could be true you know, for someone who has a moon in Aries and they feel the energy and all these other things. So basically, there's an assessment of what you need. I'll, I'll give one other example. If you're a moon in Taurus, for example, I always say to my clients who have that moon, you can't be broke. Like, well, who wants to be broke? But I clarify. So like, if you decide like, well, I'm going to be a starving artist and I'm going to work, you know, along the same and eat baguettes and wine and, you know, try to make it. I'm like, no, well, good luck. I don't know how easy that works for you. That moon needs high quality things ultimately. Yeah. And so if you're like supping on wine and bread, you know, you're going to have a problem. Same thing for the moon in, in cancer. Like yeah. if you decide like, well, I'm quitting my job and, you know, I'm not living from paycheck to paycheck. I'm not going to be a paycheck addict anymore. And even though I don't have a full plan, I'm just going to launch into like my other blah business, blank business. Well, you better have a good amount of money or some other kind of resources because that moon in cancer, after a while, it's kind of like, I need security. Yes. And I need to know what's happening next. So- it's kind of knowing more your emotional self, self and know what you can stand and what you can't stand. Yeah. That's my, my first recommendation. My next recommendation is then to think about the ruler of your ascendant, ruler of your midheaven, which could be in like my case, they're the, the same. same, but they could be separate. Right. What do they tell you about who you are and how you present in mm -hmm. the arc of your story? One of the reasons why I talk about being a skeptic is for those people who can relate to being a skeptic, who who are just, I came into the world believing in astrology. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Right? So I'm speaking to that person, right? So it, that Pisces rising, I think about as a way of creating a sense of connection. Mm. It can be through compassion, but it's kind of, Diving into deeper waters, whatever those waters may be. Yeah. And maybe even using the quality of imagination. I know sometimes I can be poetic. I was a poet. And so there is some dimension of the turn of phrase and using the turn of phrase again, mm. related to my Jupiter ruled by Mercury Virgo. So it's kind of more using the dimensions of your chart, not only to better understand yourself, but even to use it proactively, consciously. Yes. You might say. Yes. 
So ascendant midheaven, the other aspect that people can draw on, and obviously we can use all dimensions of ourselves, even the asteroids and the positionality, but I think a lot of fortune. Now, this might going a little bit into the weeds for those like, what's a lot of fortune? It's also called the part of fortune. Yes. I want to make what I think is a correction to how many people understand a part of fortune. The part of fortune isn't so much where you find your fortune in the sense that we understand where you find your money. Yes. Right? Like, oh, this is how I get rich. That is not what the lot of fortune is. The way we might understand the lot of fortune is kind of what you draw to you in your physical, maybe even, yes, fis- fiscal circumstances, mm-hmm. which you can start to weave with some measure of intention, but it may happen even without you trying. As I mentioned, I have Mercury conjoined to my lot of fortune. So what that also means, this didn't hit me until a writer friend kind of approached me about this, is that usually writing gigs and things related to astrology find me. I don't actively seek it. I mean, how this hit me is a writer friend you know, came to me. She's like, well, you know, you seem to get a lot of writing gigs. You know, who's your agent? How do you find them? Like, I don't know. They, I don't have an agent and they come to me. Yeah. Really? So you're like, okay, well, okay, you're just a lucky, you know, SOB, Sam. Well, let's say for argument, someone has moon opposing, you know, their lot of fortune or conjoined to their lot of fortune. What that would suggest that this is a person who benefits from being in a a profession that allows them to express their moon, domesticity, the sense of caring for others, and the other way in which they also are nurturing or caretaking, counseling. These are the particular clues that we can gather from that. Well, what if it's Saturn? Well, Saturn might also suggest that this is a person who benefits from, you know, seeking to become an authority in some way Mm. related to that or where people just listen to them, which can be kind of weird. When I say weird, because there are some people who like, you could tell them like, you know, I got a bridge I can sell you. Where is it in Brooklyn? They may trust you like, oh my God, I could have just sold this guy a bridge. Am I a con person? <laughs> no, it could be suggesting that people naturally believe you. And that comes with some measure of responsibility. And I think, you know, I, I think of the chart as a way in which we, improve our character. I emphasize more character development than quote unquote karma. Yeah. And if you have Saturn conjoined to your lot of fortune or even opposing it, this would be a calling to like, well, how are you leveraging using your authority? Are you using it wisely? Mm. Or is this something that you're very cavalier about? And you can start to craft that related to your business. Yes. Or your marketing, things like that. Like, so for instance, I don't know if I have your chart handy, Sophia, but do you know what connects to your lot of fortune? I don't have anything connecting to it. It's at zero degrees of Pisces. The only thing that I can think of, it trines Pluto and Scorpio. I've got Pluto at Mm -hmm. one degree of Scorpio. That's the only planet that would be connected to it. And what about Jupiter? Where's your Jupiter? Jupiter's in Sag, but it's at the end of Sag, so 25 degrees of Sagittarius. That's still there. I mean, so I think... Pluto is where we kind of experience the excavation 
and the way by which we deepen our experiences dealing with the fulfillment or lack thereof our, of our desires. Mm. So that also deals with how we're using our resources. So that moon trying can speak where you bu- you're building some measure of understanding, not just for yourself, but what you can share with others. Mm. Then with Jupiter ruling that and then being able to see that lot of fortune, at least by sign, yeah, not degree, but sign at least, it's kind of stipulating that one becomes a teacher, you know, some sharer of knowledge, which you are, right? I mean, your name, <laughs> whether that's your given name or not, Sophia Palace, it's literally, you know, wisdom, wisdom to yeah. some degree, <laughs> you know, in terms of Athena. Yes. So contemplating and considering one's lot mm. becomes one way in which you start to really hone, like, what's my brand? You know, what is the cosmos telling me about how I might make money or work my lot? Yeah. And I use that word contemplate and consider a lot because I think sometimes it's this mentality that we rely either on the astrologer or books or whatever for them to tell us what our chart means and what it is. And I think on some level, yes, obviously we want people to see astrologers and, you know, seasoned reasonable astrologers you know i think people have been blasting tiktok astrologers recently i just went to a talk just before this where someone was talking about the craziness of tiktok astrologers and you know i'm not on tiktok actively so i don't know but i imagine that's true yes we want that but the real work with astrology is learning more about it for you to consider and let your chart start speaking to you yes and you may see something different that no astrologer can see because no one has all the different facets of your life Mm. as much as you do. Yeah. And it is that kind of beautiful unraveling, isn't it? Once you get into astrology and you start to understand your own chart and you spend more time with it, it's like it presents new things to you or you see experiences in a new way you have a, this different lens then to contemplate your own life and your direction in life and your relationships and your business and all of the things. That's what's so cool exactly. about it. You know, it's a, it's not like you look at it once and you have all the answers. You kind of, <laughs> you kind of need to yeah, keep, you know, it, keep it going. Yeah. And I think that speaks to your initial question about is astrology, religion or a language I tend to say that astrology is nature's Bible. And what that means is a distinction from religion. Religion, like especially the Abrahamic religions, largely consist of what has been revealed and revelatory. Whereas astrology has some dimension of revelation, but also uses a good amount of reason where you have to sit and reason through things in terms of their meanings and what they can mean. It becomes, you know, dealing with the aspects of reason. And I think that's kind of what becomes important for someone, you know, who has a business to start working with. And whatever your business is, I mean, so here's some other things to contemplate. Let's say, you know, and I see this often a lot, if Venus is like connected to your midheaven, the ruler of your midheaven or in your 10th place, you know, 10th house or conjoined to the midheaven, some Venusian element is always going to be present 
in your presentation or life. And Venusian relates to art, beauty, some way in which we create a consensual reality, a way of, you know, partnering, connecting. So that's another way by which we can understand. And the same thing could be true for Mercury or Saturn, whether we're talking about by quote unquote opposition or we're talking about conjunction. One other important thing I think is looking at hemispheres. So there are four hemispheres by which we can focus in an astrological chart. There's the Eastern hemisphere, which is everything that's on the left-hand side of the chart. Then there is the Western hemisphere. Then there is the Southern hemisphere, which is what is above the heaven, or as to say the horizon. And then there's the northern part of the chart, which is more toward the bottom. So that seems contradictory, but that you're talking about the quote unquote southern sky might be different in the way you're talking about it in Australia. But I think the chart makes an accommodation for that. So if you have a lot of planets in the eastern hemisphere, in your business or in your work, if you're working for someone else, you thrive on being a self-starter. You require, if you're working for someone else, a long leash. You don't need anyone micromanaging. You thrive on your autonomy. If you have more of a Western hemisphere, then you are looking to work with others to consult, or you might be best suited for working with a partner and having a sense of partnership. So for instance, I know a client who does not have a law degree, but works with a lot of lawyers and things related to the law and basically compliance, elements of compliance. So one of the things we talked about in a recent session is that she might team up with a lawyer when she does her own business, and she would have more of the, the savvy and know-how in terms of particular things, but the lawyer basically would kind of be able to buttress her with the law and support her related to elements of the law. So that's one particular way in which that would work. If you have a strong Southern emphasis, then being active in public life and social arenas, kind of demonstrating your value to others might be very important to you. Whereas if you have more of a Northern emphasis, it may be more so that you're looking to focus in on what is more familiar, closer in, in ties to you directly, either through community, family, what you kind of know. One thing I will say for any of these four hemispheres, do not get locked into the idea like, you know, any of them signify introvert, extrovert. I don't think that's true. You know, I know a, a well-known actress, a client, who actually has most of her planets in the Northern Hemisphere, but she has a public life. And like, if I said her name or showed you a picture of her, you would know who she is. But she actually does have a very private life. In fact, this is a sidebar and unrelated, but still kind of, maybe it might be interesting. People have the right time, not time. They have the right day she's born, but they do not have her right place. So what's always interesting with celebrities, you have to be careful. Sometimes they supply wrong information on purpose. Ah. Like she literally, you know, as famous as she is, you know, if you said, oh, I did it for this place, that's not where she was born. Right. 
yet because that so obviously that, changes that everything. Would change your chart. And change your chart. Changes yeah. your chart. So I think, you know, it's important to kind of, you know, think about these particular factors. Like, so I have a strong Western emphasis. So being a consulting astrologer, working with others, being on other people's podcasts, that's been some aspect of my business. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really delved into that a lot on the podcast before. So I love that you've brought that to the four, I suppose. And I love the part of fortune. I was actually going to ask you about that anyway. So I love that you <laughs> you went there. This has been a very enlightening conversation. So I'm very grateful that you joined us today. And I know we could probably talk all night, <laughs> all day about astrology, but I know it's very late there. So I will let you head to bed very soon. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention before we stop recording or? Well, I don't know when you're going to put this up, but one thing to know is that I'll be participating along with my colleague, Lindsay Turner, for the STA Astrology Conference coming up. That is going to be, I believe, the 22nd and 23rd. We're actually speaking on the 23rd, but yes, Friday the 22nd is when it starts. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I have really enjoyed being part of the mentoring group as well. I know we're still going, but yeah, that's been such a great experience and have loved learning more about astrology business from you with all your years of experience. So I hope that our listeners also got a lot. I'm sure they would have got a lot out of this episode too. And I hope they all go and follow you on Twitter if they're on Twitter or on Instagram. Yeah, if they're on Twitter, you know, so that's also another way you can reach me. On on Twitter, I am Unlock Astrology. And on Instagram, I am S as in Sam, F as in Fred Reynolds. Awesome. So they can contact me there. Thank right. you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Cosmic Business Breakthrough. If you'd like to learn more about what I do, head to sophiapalace.com or follow me at sophiapalace over on Instagram. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd love for you to take a moment and review the show if you found it helpful and share it with a few friends. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you next time.